Hello folks, and welcome to another edition of the Variable D Postulate Ensemble Projects. This is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drawsoff, and I'm so grateful to be back after a five-month hiatus. This has been an incredibly tempestuous year, both in general and personally, but things are gradually coming back into focus, and I'm so glad to get back in the saddle again. In addition to restarting this podcast, I'll be starting up my recording work as a trumpeter again, and I can't wait. Before we get to the show, let me give you my usual shout-outs to the two companies I support. First, I play wedge mouthpieces designed and manufactured by Dave Harrison up on Gabriola Island in British Columbia, and I play Getson trumpets manufactured in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. As always, I love using this equipment. All right, on to today's show. Today's show is an interview with the leaders of the Blue Shift Big Band based in Chicago. The leaders are drummer Joel Bear and guitarist Chris Parsons. Shortly before the pandemic hit, they completed work on the new CD, um, a CD by the title "The Blue," introducing the Blue Shift Big Band, and it's about to be released. Before we get to the interview, let's listen to a track to get a feel for their project. Here's an original piece called Sixth Sense.
Now on to the show. Okay, we're on the show. We're on the program today with uh, Joel Bear and Chris Parsons. I changed the order. <laughs> and um, um, we just listened to Sixth Sense from their new CD. And um, gentlemen, before we get into the actual interview, why don't you tell us about the, the tune, Sixth Sense, and uh, tell us a little bit about the CD that you've got coming out. Sure. Well, I'll start and say that uh, Sixth Sense was a tune written by Chicago pianist Frank Caruso, who Chris and I both had as a teacher at Elmhurst College. Wow. And um, Frank passed away a couple of years ago, sort of unexpectedly, I think. It was sudden. Um, and so we thought a great tribute to him would be to have this tune arranged. And it was arranged by Mike Pinto, who's, you know, great Chicago guitarist and arranger. And that track features Mark Colby on tenor saxophone. And um, as you probably know, Mark passed earlier this year. So it's, it's kind of a tribute to, to Mark and to Frank. Oh, wow. Uh, who all played on that track? Uh, the uh, soloists were Chris on guitar, uh, Mark Colby on tenor, and myself on drums. Um, I'm going to run the band down for you if I can. Uh, oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Rhythm section is myself and Chris, Dan Parker on bass, Brad McDonald on piano. The saxophones are Gerald Martinez, um, Matt Zamuda, Matt Beck on lead alto, Steve Cadera, and Tom Zimney on Barry. Uh, the trombones are Josh Torrey on lead trombone, Ryan Christensen, uh, Connor Eisenmenger, and uh, Nick Roach on bass trombone. Oh, yeah. And the trumpets are Chuck Parrish on lead, uh, Adam Roebuck on split lead, John Rarick uh in the solo chair and john dorhauer in the other solo chair oh man it's a great band great band all the way around awesome awesome well it's lovely hearing that track and um before we get to the other things uh that we're going to listen to today uh i kind of like to run down a few um uh questions that i i really like to hear you guys uh, address uh one of the things that this show is about is not just about promoting the music but also promoting the idea of um uh, being a professional musician in the 21st century. So um, uh, I'm a boomer. And so I have a certain perspective as a, as a uh, senior musician as of what it takes to survive. And you gentlemen can offer a, a, a lot of insight into how it is to be a younger or newer musician trying to survive. So let me ask you this, both of you, and it can, doesn't matter who addresses what, um, when did you decide to make music your life's work and kind of how did you know? Chris, you um, want to take that one first? Yeah. Uh, for me, I don't think I knew any other thing to do. Um, I was originally going to go to Loyola University. My mom worked for the, worked for the hospital. It was going to be free tuition. So we went there on a tour and the music department wasn't even open and they didn't have program or anything and I had known about Elmhurst College through Mike Pinto who we've already mentioned uh, he was one of my teachers throughout high school and I told my dad I said I'm either gonna go to Elmhurst and be in Doug's band Doug Beach's band or I'm gonna apprentice with you and become a carpenter and he knew that that was a lot of work um, and said no now I think if he had realized how much work being a musician was maybe he would have allowed me to become a carpenter um, but I just kind of this is what I thought I would always want to do um I didn't know how I would make money on it because I 
figured being a big rock guitar touring musician was shooting for the stars but um it's just once i guess i started making money on it, it's like All right, i'll just keep doing this and um it's always been a part of who i am and what i do so it would be hard to make i would say i guess that conversation with my dad is when i cemented the the deal but um i've just kind of always known this is what i was going to do and what i wanted to do joel how about you uh man i wish i could say that i always knew that i was going to do this i definitely wanted to do this from an early age my dad was a drummer and uh before i was born he had done like the holiday in circuit and made a living playing music for a couple of years so i knew those stories and i knew that it was possible to make a living in music and that there was something in between uh being a school teacher and being a rock star you know, I feel like sometimes when people think about a career in music, as Chris and I have talked about, they either think about the high school band director or being some, you know, big selling musician. And there's a whole bunch of middle class musicians in between that. So I knew that that existed, although it didn't exist for me. You know, that circuit is long gone. Um, but after after high school, I wanted to play, but I didn't go right to college. I kind of took some time off. Uh, I worked you know, I played my instrument, but eventually I decided that just working at a job that wasn't fulfilling wasn't working for me and that I might as well try to do what I wanted to do. So I went back to college a couple of years later. Um, and, and once I, once I started doing that, I absolutely knew that was the path for me. And I just went full, full bore. Cool. Do, do either one of you guys have a day gig? So I may be so bold. Uh, I, I teach um, okay. at a college. I teach music. So I don't know if that counts as a day gig. I'm only an adjunct professor. So I feel like the majority of my income has been from playing for the last 10 years. Okay. Okay. That was Joel. Joel, right? I'm not doing That's correct. Yep. Okay. Uh, Chris, uh, how about you? Do you have a day gig? Uh, yeah, I work for um, a company called Beat Mix Music. Um, okay, okay. We do uh, corporate events and weddings. Weddings is the big one. Um, and I kind of lucked into that after college. Um, so yeah, I, I made my day gig music. Well, that's that seems really relevant. Um, you know, teaching privately or teaching at a college or adjunct professor work uh or you know even the high school band director uh all of that seems like yeah it's a day gig but it's tied back to your music it's not like you're working at starbucks or something not that working at starbucks is bad it's just not a music oriented job right. uh, well that's excellent that's nice to hear that and it's interesting that you share that because i think a lot of younger musicians uh who are not yet uh into that rock star status um uh, have to survive and you know they may need something to keep going it's interesting that you both mentioned uh the the rock star thing uh, that seems to be kind of a uh a running theme that i get with a lot of newer musicians and uh, uh, uh it's interesting that you both have migrated towards jazz which i think is a a very interesting um uh, artistic art form to be working in uh, so that's it. Yeah, just a comment. Um, yeah. When you first got started, you know, what did you see as the necessary survival skills 
uh, to be a musician? Say yes to everything. (laughs) And then figure it out. (laughs) Okay. That's right. Go ahead. I'll I'll chime in on that. And I would say, say yes to everything until you, you can't say yes anymore. Yeah. You know, until something, until you get to the point where you're making the kind of money or you're playing with a certain level of people where saying yes to something doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, if you're going to, if you're going to be a musician, um, you have to be able to play anything, be able to read well, have an idea of how to play in popular styles i mean this is the kind of stuff that i tell my you know my students all the time but uh yeah i think you have to be prepared for the gig or as prepared as you can be and then once you get the gig you gotta do the homework okay so that seems like really important uh, aspects of how to survive now that's something that definitely was a uh, an aspect of uh, how i worked back then how do you go out? How do you go about finding gigs? You know, when I got started, there was actually a black book out there and you could use to find music contractors and jingle producers and things of that nature. In fact, there was a vibrant jingle industry. And while I was never a first call, I did do a lot of jingles and that's all gone now. And, um, and I used to go out and, you know, send out demo tapes and promos and all kinds of stuff that was, you know, a lot of sidemen consider it unorthodox, but I managed to get get myself pretty busy by just you know being proactive. Uh, how do you go about finding gigs now? I'll take that one. Um, I think it's all about who you know right now, uh, and there's no, at least in my experience, there's no black book. It's all just talking to people and putting yourself out there regularly putting yourself into places where there are other musicians. So that could be going to a jam session or even going to check somebody else's show out and just showing up and, and doing the hang. Um, yeah. Cause I don't other, other than that, I, I don't know how you would get a gig. All the gigs I've ever gotten were because somebody knew somebody who was looking for a drummer. Yeah. And, and to piggyback off that with the, what I said about saying yes to everything, um, if you're responsible and you show up prepared and you know what you're doing um, for me, it was all word of mouth. I have had a lot of gigs where um, playing with show choirs or high school, you know, vocal jazz things where it's just someone I knew who remembered my name and they remembered that I was um, responsible and punctual. I think that that might actually be more important than having the actual skills is just being, you know, responsible and organized um, and prepared and that's what people are going to remember they're not going to remember a you know blazing solo you took on a rhythm changes they're going to remember that you showed up a half hour early nobody had to worry about whether or not you were going to be late you were dressed appropriately um, I think unfortunately not unfortunately maybe it's there's a lot of non-musical stuff you have to bring to the table to be a successful musician um, and that's just being an adult I think that there's a lot of um, belief that because you're a musician, it's this, it's different than any other job really isn't. You got to show up prepared. You got to be responsible, be polite, say hello and thank you and everything. And, um, as a musician, you'll know what you need to do musically to bring to the table. Once you have the gig, it's getting the gig that's hard. And that's no different than having any other job. I, I think. 
Okay. Okay. All right. You've talked about, you know, how to get gigs and everything. Uh, how about practicing? Tell me a little bit how, uh, how much time do you devote to practicing, to preparing your, um, honing your musical skills as it were? Not, not as much as I'd like. Does <laughs> <laughs> anybody. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's, it's just maintaining a certain level of um, maintenance practice at the very least devoting enough time before a gig. It was really hard to have a regular practice regimen um, with the day gig, even though it was in music. Um, it, you know, I was arranging and transcribing pop tunes and special requests and stuff. So when you get home, you're a little burnt out from practicing. So I, I don't know how to answer that. If somebody has an answer, I'd love to hear it. Cause <laughs> yeah, I, I need I, it. I get that. Yeah. Joel. I think for me, practicing the amount of time I spend practicing sort of depends on how much I'm playing um, on any given week. So for instance, in 2018, 2019, I was doing about 300 gigs a year. And I found that when I was playing, you know, six nights a week, I was not necessarily practicing as much as say I am now when I'm in quarantine because I have much more time to spend. And frankly, some of the gigs that I was playing were pretty brutal as far as the the time at the gig, you know, I was, they were like longer gigs, six hour gigs. And so, you know, what I wanted to do with my day wasn't necessarily spend it practicing before I had to go play for, you know, four or five hours. Okay, that makes sense. Is you got to get a sense of balance about uh, what you're doing and you know what you're playing and you know how you're keeping up the physical game of your instrument too. Yeah, um, I, I find that those things kind of ebb and flow. You know, as as I have more gigs, sometimes I won't be practicing um, maintenance stuff as much. Maybe I'll be working on ideas or uh, a new technique or something. And then when I have fewer gigs, I have more time to, to spend working on, you know, the just basic technical maintenance stuff. Okay. okay. And the, the thing I've been finding, especially during quarantine, is um, trying to be more creative when I'm picking up the instrument, and whether it be writing or experimenting with things. For me, I just kind of hit a wall with learning things. I felt like I kept learning and learning and learning, and I wasn't using it to be creative so now during this time i'm learning how to do recording stuff and just making tracks and putting songs together and use all this information i've learned um to be creative with it and that that's been actually very helpful for me to want to pick up the instrument and continue to play when it's not a gig that i'm preparing for I'm going to want to circle back to a couple of ideas that you guys have uh, just brought up. But, but before we do, um, let's listen to another track. Um, we heard the um, Six Sense a minute ago, a few minutes ago. And now let's listen to I've Never Been in Love Before. Uh, Joel or Chris, can you tell me a little bit about that tune? Who's playing it? Uh, Joel, Joel should definitely take this one. Sure. Yeah. So one of the coolest things about this track is that it was arranged by Bob Ojeda. Uh, Bob, for anyone who doesn't know, played with the Count Basie Orchestra. Played for, this band. He was just such a cool guy. He was the coolest man. And um, when we started, when we started this big band, and we started trying to get more original charts for the band, I really I knew about Bob, and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get some something from him. 
So I called them up and this was originally written as a vocal chart. Uh, and we've played it like that, but for the, this recording session, it turned into a great vehicle for John Rarick's trumpet playing. Oh yeah. Um, and man, Bob's charts, just the way they're written are so beautiful and lush. I think when you hear it, you'll just, you'll hear how the, the orchestration and the harmony is amazing and really nobody writes like Bob. Um, and I feel like, and, and for those who don't know, Bob just passed away as well this year uh, in uh, March. So this, this is kind of a tribute to Bob, I think. Yeah. You know, I told Bobby one time out of the gate, we, it was just a nursing home job. And I just walked up to him after the job and I said, man, playing your charts is like playing Lenny Niehaus charts. Um, yeah. Just so they read down, mm-hmm. they play down. There's just, they're just wonderful. And uh, he was, he really appreciated that. I don't think uh, he thought of it. He's a pretty humble guy. In, in a lot of ways uh, uh he'll be missed but his music will live on uh boy yeah bobby ojeda and let's listen to uh john rarick playing on um uh i've never i've never been in love before <laughs>
want to circle back to some ideas that you uh, mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, the pandemic and the quarantine thing came up a few times. Uh, being in this pandemic has completely decimated. It's just, it's almost destroyed uh, our work. Uh, I mentioned to you before we uh, started recording, I haven't, played, I haven't played a gig since March 13th. I've been calling for a few, but I'm just not, you know, I'm a little more seasoned than you guys are. I'm a little uncomfortable going into bars and taverns to play, even when they, when the measures have been taken to try to make, to try to quote, make it safer, end quote. Um, how, how do you guys handle it? How are you handling it in uh, dealing with this quarantine thing? Um, uh, uh, recording or, or gigging? How are you dealing with all of this? Uh, I, well, I think one of the things for Chris and I that was the most helpful is the album that's coming out November 6th, we recorded in January of this year. So before everything hit. Ah. So we, and it wasn't, we recorded this album, but we also recorded uh, another eight tracks that will be on two other releases uh, that will come out in the next, I don't know, you know, six months to a year. So we had all these projects that we were mixing and mastering remotely during the quarantine, which was something to look forward to, honestly, because there were so many months when I wasn't playing. Yeah. Um, so that was tremendously helpful, and I'm so glad that we decided to do it when we did, not knowing that this would happen. Any thoughts, yeah. Chris? Um, I've been – yeah, that was a lot of fun, and I, I wish we had the foresight because we would have done four days of recording and had eight albums worth of stuff to do because that was just a fun thing to look forward to. Um, as far as gigs, I've you know during the summer, um, the company I work for, we were able to get um, some outdoor like ceremony, small, you know, two piece gigs and stuff and um, a couple out more outdoor gigs with a full band and the partitions and everything. But um, I've been in a fortunate situation where I, I haven't had to stress about gigs and, um, you know, I, I'd like keeping my family safe and, you know, like what you were saying. So, but in terms of, keeping busy and entertained that it's it's like what i was saying just playing playing with the guitar and playing with music and different sounds and stuff just trying to use this time to be creative um is how i've been been able to get through this but you know it's it's obviously with the caveat where i haven't had to stress about gigs and making the money to get through it so i don't know how people who were solely relying on being a musician and gigging are getting through this I, I can't even begin to imagine yeah, it's, it, it just seems so tough uh chris you mentioned that you're learning recording um uh how are you doing it and what's the application are you using uh, pro tools uh, logic pro uh, uh how's that working out for you um i'm using logic pro uh i don't know if this was something that was just for the pandemic or it's, they always do it they offered a free 90-day trial and uh i downloaded that actually around the time when we were uh, mixing the album because I had to do a couple overdubs uh, to send to um, Brian Schwab, who was mixing and mastering it for us. So it was kind of a trial by fire, learn how to do it. But I, I'm just goofing around with it. You know, I'm just, because I, for so long, what I was had to learn how to do with the music industry was driven by a deadline and getting a paycheck 
I never really got to just experiment with stuff. So I'd throw a drum loop on and mic up a guitar cab and just come up with a funky bass line and just, you know, so it, it's going well. There's, it's, it's fun. There's a lot to learn. And Joel and I have actually been talking about figuring out how to come up with kind of a mobile recording rig so that when we can get the band together, um, we can, we don't need to have to go into the studio. We just need to find a big room and record as much as of this music that we're making um, and just getting it captured and released for people to hear. And it doesn't need to be a big studio project like what we just did. Oh, which recording studio did you uh, do the project in? Uh, We used electrical audio. It's Steve Albini's place in the city. And it is a spectacular place to record a big band. I probably the one of the best in the city. Yeah. Um, a beautiful live room, a totally isolated drum room right next to the live room that is air gapped on all sides. So you, you don't have any residual bleed uh, oh, from, from vibration. And then uh, it, it was a really great place to record also because, you know, they have a full kitchen upstairs. So we were able to bring in food for the guys. We did two long session days we did um nine to seven nine a.m to seven p.m two days and recorded plus a, 18 plus a three hours setup the on, plus the yeah Friday plus before. a setup the day before yep boy it's a lot of work but that sounds pretty were you able to get the did the whole band fit in the studio they yeah. did and i think we could have probably set we stacked them like a a standard big band um okay. and i think if we had to do it again i would maybe play with uh, positioning the sections around the room differently, but there was enough space to do that. Let's listen to another track. Uh, this will be the uh, third track that we're going to listen to today. Uh, it's uh, Billy's Bounce. Uh, could one of you gentlemen uh, introduce Billy's Bounce for us? Uh, Chris, you want to take this one? Yeah, uh, this is a, an arrangement of Billy's Bounce by Joe Clark, who uh, also helped us produce the record um, during the sessions. It features Brad McDonald on piano, uh myself on guitar um is it josh on trombone yeah josh tory on trombone um and uh blinking there's one more soloist isn't there no there's not just that's right (laughs) i haven't had enough coffee today (laughs) all right let's listen to billy's bounce Thank you. 
gentlemen, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, uh, before we do anything else, I want one of you to tell me everything, the name of the CD, where can people buy it, uh, where, you know, uh, websites. You know, do your best to plug this project in, in about a minute here. All right. So uh, the name of the album is Joel Bear and Chris Parsons present the Blue Shift Big Band. It's our debut album. It's coming out on JRU Jazz Records on November 6th. It will be available on Bandcamp, and it will also be able uh, available on streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music and, and wherever else. Um, yeah, we're both really excited about this. This is the first entry into uh, what I think will be a, a, quite a few records coming up in the next couple of years. And we, like I said, we recorded another album uh, which will be available pro hopefully in the summer. And that is a project of all video game tunes. Oh, video. That's a, a really interesting sounding project. Um, have you gentlemen ever considered the thought of, um, of doing a lot of recording remotely? That seems to be something that's kind of a trend right now. Uh, yeah, we, we did. And we started it and we're waiting on the guitar player to finish his track. Um, <laughs> the guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some jerk cut his finger and needed stitches and, you know, his oh. temperament. But no, it's it, it actually I need to get on it. It's it's another Bob Ojeda uh, tune that he had written for us. Um, I had always loved Bob's writing, too. And the first time he came into the rehearsal, um, there was no guitar part written. So, I, you know, and that's fine. It's what I, I'm used. I'm used to reading the piano parts. And then Joel had a, a tune arranged for him written for him um that was a drum feature and there was no guitar part so i joked with joel i said what a, fine i'll just commission a chart if, it, if it's if it's a guitar feature it's got to have a guitar part um so he wrote one for us called four west and eventually we'll do a, a legit studio recording of it but um yeah i need to finish the the zoom or the virtual recording of it probably this week it's sorry joel that sounds pretty cool. It sounds to me. It, it seems to me that there could be a, a potential business that one could build, uh, doing uh, remote remote recordings with Logic Pro being so readily available, and you know, gentlemen like like you, Chris, are learning how to use it, um, to be able to find your workout online. Uh, that might be a way to deal with all this. Is it's hard to say. Do you, do you guys think that the music industry is going to come back? Uh, as it was before, or I think it's going to be different and when this uh, whole thing ends. I think they will be different. And I think the success of musicians getting out of it will be figuring out what it is. Um, I even look at how much it's changed since Joel and I got out of school. I mean, we were in finishing up college. YouTube was just becoming, you know, a thing. And there are so many musicians making a career out of that. So, um, I think the people that will survive will be, you know, taking what we're learning now, doing everything remotely and then learning how to um, apply it to when we get to get back to normal. And I think, I think that's exciting. I think if we've learned one thing about the music industry, especially is that it's always going to move forward and it's always going to change. So this is kind of forcing us to all think about what the new way will be. Joel, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think, I think the scene, uh, as you said, will probably be decimated for the next couple of years. I imagine that there will be several clubs that will close. And I think that eventually, you know, more more clubs will open, new clubs will, will open. But for musicians now, it's hard when, 
you know, when your contacts kind of disappear and you have nowhere to play, um, even when things open up, I, I suspect that a lot of the places people were playing will either not have live music right away or will be closed. Uh, so yeah, I think musicians are, are scrappy and we'll always find a way to play and to get our music out there. I think that the harder part will be finding a way to get paid for music. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, that's not, that's not the most optimistic view, but I know, I, th- I think it'll, it'll happen. It just, it'll take time to recover. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this too shall pass as they say. Um, uh, things will things will be different, but they'll be good. They'll be fine. We're, everybody's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. Yeah. Okay. One concluding question I would like to ask is uh, kind of here's the premise: uh, we want to encourage newer musicians to pursue their dreams. Uh, how would you advise them to pursue their dreams wisely in in this day and age? Well, I'll t- I'll start with that. I think first of all, you have to um, you have to to be involved in something that you love. If you're making music for for just for making music, and we're not talking about making a living necessarily, do something that you like. You know, always have that creative outlet where you have have something to go back to that refreshes you. So for for me, this big band has been such a, an amazing thing. I feel like I could pour infinite amounts of time into this and I never feel like it's work because I love doing it. And as you know, Nick, uh, big bands aren't big money makers. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I've just found so much joy in, in doing whatever, whether it's uh, working on the mixing or mastering for this or talking to new arrangers or composers about getting charts for the band. Um, it's fun for me. So so this has been great. Um, and you know, the professional stuff, the playing gigs to make money, that's, that's fun too. It's just, it's, but sometimes when you're playing six nights a week and you're playing the same music all the time, that can feel like work. It's not the worst, but it's, it's still work. And having your own passion project to kind of fuel your creativity. I can't recommend that highly enough. Chris, anything to jump in there with? Um, I think the best advice I can give is there's no, there isn't one way to do this. There isn't, um, you don't open up a book and follow the instructions. And then, you know, after a certain amount of time that, and that's something that I kind of fell for. I thought, Oh, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a degree. I'm going to do this and then I'll do this. And then um, it doesn't always line up like that. And it, it kind of screwed me up. Not, you know, I mean, just you know figuring out what i wanted to do for a while it was hard because i was playing somebody else's playbook um so figure out what you want to do and if you don't have it figured out right away that's fine just do the homework be responsible practice be prepared and when you find something you want to do do it and uh like with joel this big band um you know will definitely be the thing that keeps me going it has kept me going through and when we could play together I'm looking forward to it because there's no agenda here other than Joel and I wanting to get a bunch of our friends together, a bunch of great musicians together and play our own music. Um, all the other stuff, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, you'll, you'll learn how to make money to, uh, to survive. Um, don't sully the thing you love with making the money. Um, figure out another way to make money and to survive and, 
follow your passion, follow your heart, but it comes with a lot of work and a lot of sacrifices and it's always worth it. I feel so just keep your head in the game and do it. Yeah. If I can, if I can piggyback on that, I think if you go into this career thinking that you're going to work less, uh, that's, that's a bad idea. I feel like I work twice as much as anybody I know who's got a normal job. And sometimes that work is, it's answering emails or it's driving to the gig. It's not, it's not the work of actually playing the instrument. It's all this other work, but I still feel like it's worth it because at the end of the day, I'm getting to play my instrument Mm -hmm. and I work for me, you know, even if I'm on somebody else's gig, I'm, I'm an independent contractor and I like that. Mm -hmm. Man, these are terrific ideas to be sharing with people today. Uh, Thank you guys. Well, folks, we've been talking with Joel Bear and Chris Parsons, uh, the co-leaders of the Blue Shift Big Band. What's the name of the CD one more time, gentlemen? Right. Joel Bear and Chris Parsons present the Blue Shift Big Band. That's excellent. And gentlemen, I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me and be part of my uh, first show after a five-month hiatus. And I, I, I genuinely thank you for for being here and I hope this, the CD is a great success. Uh, thank you so much. Thank Nick. you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, this was great. Thank you for having us. Oh man, it's my pleasure. I want to thank Joel Bear and Chris Parsons for discussing their project with me today. At many levels, this is an incredibly important project. I hope you enjoyed it and the insight these gentlemen brought to bear on the discussion. And I hope to consider buying their music in some way. Well, that's it for this show. As we struggle to deal with these hard times, we can still anchor ourselves in the love of the arts and for each other in spite of our differences. I know we're all eager to get out there again and perform music live and listen to live music outside of our respective shelters, and we will when it is safe to do so. Until then, let's stay in touch with each other safely and, when necessary, virtually. Times are tough, but this too shall pass. Until the next show, this is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drozdoff, saying, don't stop the music. Peace. <laughs>